Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm a writer, musician, and filmmaker. On this show, we are going to go ahead and discuss horror and read some horror fiction. So sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Aaron Frail from Aaron's Horror Show, and today I have a very special guest for you. His name is Ryan Denmark, and he's an independent writer, director, producer of independent films like Romeo and Juliet versus The Living Dead. i got to give you full disclosure on that. I play Carl in that. He's Capulet Stooge number three. He's awesome, if I do say so myself. Yes, (laughs) Yes, thank you, thank you. He also does Chase the Slut, both of which films premiered at the Edinburgh Film Festival. And he also did a recent film called Hell's Heart, which is available to stream through Amazon. His short horror film called Plush was featured in over 30 international film festivals. His script, Flying Objects, was a semi-finalist in the 2017 Academy Nichols Fellowship in a screenwriting competition. He's also an editor. His feature documentary, Bill Cunningham, New York, received nominations of the Independent Spirit Awards and Gotham Awards, in addition to being shortlisted for the Oscars. His recent editing credits include Spike Lee's Chi Rack, Michael Jackson's Journey from Motown to Off the Wall, along with the upcoming We Have Always Lived in the Castle and, I'm excited about this one, Sci-Fi Network series Happy. He currently lives in Brooklyn, New York. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Yes, yes. So, uh, I guess to kind of start things off, let's kind of hear from you. What got you into filmmaking? What's your origin story? Did you fall into toxic waste or bit by a radioactive yeah, so, spider? Or you yeah, so bitten, bitten by a radioactive director. Yeah, no, I, yeah there you um, go. <laughs> I don't know what got me into filmmaking. I started out in computer science, actually, and, uh, and, uh, took a couple classes and got extremely bored in my freshman year and took an elective in film and television. And it was just something that clicked, particularly the editing side was something I could do very quickly. And uh, so I was able to start editing industrials and commercials and things in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is, of course, where you and I know each other from. And then uh, uh, one day I met Spike Lee's editor at a film festival, uh, his editor, Barry Brown, and he hired me to uh, be his assistant editor on Spike's 2003 film, She's Got uh, She Hate Me. And, um, and yeah, so I moved to New York and I worked for... Worked uh, for Spike off and on for about 10 years, 11 years or so, and uh, have now made the full-fledged jump to being a lead editor on, on things such as Happy, which is what I'm working on right now, and people should definitely check check that out. It's going to be premiering, uh, premiering on Sci-Fi uh, 
December, and you can see all of our trailers and teasers and things that have been released online, and, and it is every bit as insane and hilarious as it looks. <laughs> that I can yeah, it, yes, it definitely looks at it. I, I saw the trailer, and and I, 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 yeah. I must admit, it made me laugh out loud. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's great. Especially and we, yeah, we, we premiered it. We premiered the pilot at Comic Con, uh, and the, the audience was was very into it. Uh, Chris Maloney is is amazing in it, and uh, you know we've got this. We're working with this this company, Axis, that's doing the the computer animation for it, and it's just incredible what they're able to pull off uh, on this on the schedule that, that we're doing this show on. Um, yeah, it's great. The animation is fantastic, and Happy is amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, it looks very, it looks very interesting. So, uh, you, you actually do your own projects too, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I watched a little bit of Hell's Heart, and, and just go ahead and tell us, uh, tell us about that one. About Hell's Heart? Uh, well, Hell's Heart is a, uh, a psychological drama romance horror film, as you would say. Uh, it is uh, the story of Martin Cole, who when he was a young boy, uh, witnessed the murder of his next door neighbor who he had kind of a crush on this, this woman who was very nice to him when he was about 10 years old or so and she's murdered in front of him uh, he grows up becomes engaged to her daughter and right before the wedding he becomes convinced that he is possessed by the spirit of this woman who was murdered his fiance's mother um, and uh, it's reigniting uh, his 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 feelings for this woman from when he was a kid and then also causing a lot of obviously a lot of trauma for for her family for uh, you know the daughters that she left behind and are now uh terrified that he's going insane um and this kind of mystery is unraveling about you know what what happened to her and um and uh you know how this family is going to move forward from this point so it's so it's an exor- it's an exorcism film like you have never seen. <laughs> so a, I, I have to ask. I have to ask from some from from what I watched of it. I have to. I just have to know: is is he really possessed, or is he just like crazy town? Well, I think that's you know. I I wouldn't say that that is the question of the movie, Might but be. it oh, is okay. Interesting. It, interesting. Yeah, but it but it's it's not necessarily the like you know it's not like. It's not a, that's not the mystery of it per se, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, when I wrote it, I left it somewhat ambiguous. I definitely have my, my feelings about it. You know, I don't want to necessarily tell people it's, you know, for sure one thing or another. Um, but I think when you're writing something, uh, you, when you're writing something that's so strongly from the point of view of one character, sometimes, you know, is this real or is this not real start to become irrelevant because from their point of view, it is real. And that's the perspective and the point of view that you're, that you're bringing to the film. Um, so, you know, reality so it doesn't, doesn't really reality matter. If it, yeah. yeah what, what, what the ultimate reality isn't necessarily as important as what the emotional truth is for any given character from any given character's perspective. Cause I, I think even when yeah, you reach yeah. the end of the film, depending on, you know, which character that's, uh, you know, which character who's, who's your, your view, like some of the, if you were to interview all the characters at the end of the film, they would all have wildly different things to say on that topic, you know? Um, and that I think is ultimately, um, is more, more interesting. So. And, and I'm sure it gives a good, you know, it's a good 
coffee shop movie, you know, where where after you see the film, you want to go down and 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 sit with your friends and talk about it. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people are, you know, it's it's the sort of thing. It's, you definitely don't. It's not the kind of movie where you where you're sitting there and you're you're seeing every beat of the film, you know, ten minutes before it happens. It you know it's uh it's a it's a journey, <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, and you uh, you know, and it definitely leaves a lot of things uh, open for interpretation, and and uh, uh, and you know, it's and it's something that you know respects the the genre that it's coming out of, the exorcism genre, but it's not you know the challenging thing for a film like this too, just from a you know down to the weeds of indie filmmaking talk, but it's you know when you're trying to market this film out to an audience, you know, obviously there's a horror movie angle to this. Um, and, you know, it's not, you know, head spinning, spinning around and pea soup flying out of his mouth, uh, sort of exorcism film. But you, you are trying to target that, that horror audience while not trying to set up a false expectation that this is going to be, you know, like a, like a, a scary movie per se. And particularly, you know, you're also not trying to drive away an audience that might enjoy it who, you know, we've, like our trailer, I think like when the, if you watch our trailer online at thirdstarfilms.com, you'll see, uh, that it's, you know, it kind of, it, it makes it feel dark and, and like a horror movie, but the film's far more romantic than that. And it's always interesting, you know, when we've had screenings of this film at various film festivals, the people who were probably the most resistant or worried about going in and watching a horror film are actually the people that probably respond to it the most. You know, they're just very, like, yeah, they're very, they're just very intimate. And like, cause the, the scary stuff, you know, the tense moments work for them. You know, they, they are freaked out by them, but it's not too intense. And, you know, it's about the right level of, uh, it's about the right level of horror for, for that kind of audience, you know. But it's difficult, yeah, like, how do you market it's, for it's, that, you know? Yeah, it's not it's not necessarily like you know a bloodbath where people are getting hacked up every five seconds. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah, you, you know it's it's more it's more cerebral and 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 spooky, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, phrase it. You know. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You know, and we have Good, the same. Know. You know, back when we back when we made Romeo and Juliet versus The Living Dead. We had a similar problem with that. It's probably just a problem with almost all of the films that I tend to make, but it's, we had a similar problem with that where it's like, you know, you're, we're, this is a horror, com- it's a horror comedy. It's a zombie movie. Um, and, uh, it's also available on Amazon, uh, for, for rental. And like the, uh, the, you know, it's, it, it seems like it should exist in the sort of like B movie, like heavy blood and gut sort of like trauma world, but it's not that, you know, it's, it has, it has, you know, it is extremely low budget, as you remember. <laughs> and, oh yes, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I remember. Uh, I remember pushing the dolly, and then we had to like redo the tracks every time we wanted to do a different shot because we only had like a little bit of track, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, it's, uh, it was an extremely low budget, um, so it doesn't have like you know, it, it, it's not a film that's primarily there to do like horror, like you know, heads ripping off gags. Um, it's a little bit closer to something like Young Frankenstein, probably a sort of a Mel Brooks sensibility. Uh, but, you know, it's like, it's, you know, but at the same time, and, you know, like, this just because of the title and the nature of it being a zombie movie. Again, there's, there's an audience of people out there that would really love this movie that may 
not necessarily want to watch it initially because they think it's like a trauma movie. Um, yeah, so. yeah, they think that there's just going to be blood and, and guts everywhere, and, and it's more. I, I think Mel Brooks is a very good parallel for for mm-hmm. uh, Romeo and Juliet versus The Living Dead. I think it's it's more about the comedy and the uh, mashing of Shakespeare with the the you know the world of zombies. Uh, you know, I, one of the things I really liked about it was the fact that you made all the Monahues, uh, I know I'm giving away spoiler for, for, for those <laughs> that might, uh, might, might, you know, but all the Monahues are zombies. I think that's great. I think that's great to show the Capulets and the Monahues as humans and zombies, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, and that's not a spoiler. That's pretty much the pitch. I mean, right? I mean, that's, pretty, that's pretty much the that's the setup of the movie. Like, it's more of like why you should watch yeah. it then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. Then, then, yeah. then how about this as a spoiler? There's there's a photo in there that looks like it's out of awkward family photos that you do of uh, Jason Witter, the the lead who plays Romeo. <laughs> Uh, and I, I, I laugh every time I think of that photo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like the old Walmart specials and looking off into the distance, pensive, and then another version of them smiling at the camera. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it's, that's the entire concept of the film initially was, you know, because this all kind of came out of Hamlet the Vampire Slayer, which you guys did, you, you and Jason had, had directed, and you guys co wrote that together, right? Is that Mike Dinger? Yeah, we did. Ham- Hamlet, we did. Yeah. yeah, we will. So, yeah, Hamlet, um, um, and you guys had just finished Hamlet, and I was in town, and Jay was thinking about doing. Uh, Jay was thinking about, and, and you guys had been doing all these like mashup uh, Shakespearean comedy things on stage, and he was thinking about doing something. Uh, I think it was called Zombies of the Caribbean, is what, if I remember correctly. And we, I, can't, I went to, uh, I sat down with him and did a reading of it with, with a, another guy, and like. Afterwards, I was thinking, you know, it, it didn't like Pirates of the Caribbean and the zombie stuff didn't really match mash up that well because Pirates of the Caribbean is already kind of a zombie film in some ways. So it's uh, yeah, so we were talking yeah. about trying to match mash it back up with like some sort of Shakespeare thing, and I suggested Romeo and Juliet, and and then I had this gap. We were talking about doing it on stage, and I had this gap, and I was like, hey, we could just shoot like this low budget movie that looked like a lot of fun. You guys had just done it, and I thought it would just be fun to do it for a few weeks, and um. And I and uh, I my the angle I wanted to come at it was basically making it like a John a John Hughes '80s film. You know, it was going to be like a kind of like doing a it's like Romeo and Juliet. You know, meets Night of Living Dead meets Pretty in Pink was basically the general <laughs> idea I had. And uh, and you can see a lot of parallels of, from Pretty in Pink throughout the film. Um, and uh, the and so yeah, I, I that was sort of the idea for it, and it was going to be just this really rough thing, and we shot it, you know, for not a lot of money, and and it, it I I always kind of imagined it would play to about the same degree that that Hamlet did, but then just on a whim, I had sent it out, and we got into the Edinburgh Film Festival, and it had this big premiere, and suddenly I'm taking meetings on this movie, and I'm doing press on this movie in Edinburgh, and like you know. And like, oh, that's you know, awesome. you know, wow. I'm not getting emails from Focus Films and all these other places, you know, and so suddenly it's like, <laughs> I'm just going like, oh, God, like, we, like, <laughs> we created a monster, it's alive. Together. I mean, Jay and I, Jay and I wrote that script in two weeks before we started shooting it, you know, and so it was just, yeah, I, was, I remember reading Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew and how he was kind of mortified when El Mariachi, uh, uh, started to hit and they wanted to release that because he never really intended anybody to let, you know, this wasn't like his effort to pitch himself as a filmmaker. It was just like, Hey, let me do this thing as a proof of concept. 
you know, of like the yeah. kinds of things we can do if somebody gives us money. And like, I had always kind of thought, you know, like even when we were going to Edinburgh, I was like, well, maybe somebody will like this enough to sort of option it and maybe have us do like a higher budget version of it, you know, like a little more thought out, a little bit, obviously a lot better special effects and blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That was, it was, it was a lesson in that. And I would say like, like the biggest piece of it, but you know, it, it's hard to say because you know, you get one part of me wants to say to, to indie filmmakers thinking about making their their first projects and whatnot, it's like, look, you can only you can only make your first film once, you know, and like the mm-hmm. the industry has puts some sort of weird premium on that. Like even like like I'm and because I have been so you know, DIY bootstrappy about my directing career, I've actually made myself ineligible for the Sundance Labs, for example. Like, they won't. Oh, really? Because, yeah, even though, like, my films have been very small films and, the, you know, they're not by any stretch in the imagination. These things aren't like, you know, it's not like I'm a veteran film director. Um, but, but yeah, they have a rule. You can't have directed more than two films. And I, uh, and still be, um, I mean, maybe even make you ineligible on the second film, I think. But, um, but, and I even wrote them directly at one point and asked, I said, like, look, this is what my films were. They were like $20,000 films. And, you know, they screened once in, in Edinburgh and then a couple of other small film festivals. Is this really making me ineligible? And they, yep, yep, it sure does. And, yeah. Oh, they, my. Yeah, that's, you know. and that's so, kind of rough because it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's hard to get, get above, you know, there's a lot of films being made, like we were talking about earlier before, uh, yeah. you know, we, we got on the interview, you know? Yeah, if there's a but, lot yeah. of films being made, and 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 I think the thing for me though is that like ultimately, as as we're all trying to find our way through, because there's so many people making so many films now, and how do you differentiate yourself uh, from the pack? Is like we're all, you know, there's there's no there's nothing quite like just making a movie, you know, like that in mm-hmm. terms of the experience, and like and my my pitch for myself now when I'm attempting to talk to you know, investors or producers and trying to get myself on the different project is essentially like, it's like, you know, I am, yes, it's like my next film, like say I was going to get my next film, you know, it's going to be budgeted at two or $3 million or something like that, which is that step I'm trying to make in my career. It's like, it's in some weird psychological way, it's easier for people to wrap their minds around a first time director doing that with no experience is somehow preferable to somebody who's, you know, that would be my fourth film, you know, and people yeah, are like, well, these yeah. films, you know, maybe these, these films didn't do very much. And it's like, yes, but these films were, you know, like we put Romeo and Juliet in the can for like nine grand, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, it's yeah. Like, and these are, you know, it's like, I have, I mean, I am, I have more experience and a, and a, and a training now for making these low budget films and my confidence in stepping onto a set and directing is, much higher than it would have been had I just simply not done anything or only done short films for the last you know, 10 or 12 years or whatever it's been that I've been doing this stuff. So, um, which I can, yeah. you know, I yeah. could understand that, that making features gets it, making features seems to open more doors than just doing short films. So it seems like if you were just doing mm-hmm. short films, it would be, it wouldn't get you as far as, as doing, uh, as doing features, at least that's, that would be my assumption, it's, you know? Well, it, it's tough to say, because, you know, a, a, a great short film, like, actually, I might, I'm I'm gearing up right now, uh, hopefully, to be shooting an, a short film in February. Um, okay. That's, 
because the thing is with a short film, of course, if you've got like a small budget that you're able to cobble together, you can make a really, really super ultra low budget feature film, or you can make a more polished short film just to kind of show that you're capable of putting together a certain kind of look and, you know, you know, maybe it's a little easier to get some casting done on a film like that to kind of separate yourself and getting some recognizable people into it. So we, I might be doing that. But however, I will say this, and I don't regret having done any of the three films that I've done because I don't care how many short films you've made. If you've never had to try to hold an audience's attention for 90 minutes, you know, 90 minutes plus, like you, you there's no... There's no training for that, you know. For sure, for sure, yeah. You know, it's like I have a a sense of pacing and a sense of, of, uh, and and also just how to, you know, mentally get through a 30-day shoot. You know, it's it's a it's a different it's a different skill than a short film, and uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems if I were an investor, like putting, you know, like you said, two, three million dollars on a film, I would want someone with more experience at it, you know, that I know is going to at least produce a product for for what I'm, you know, what I'm giving them, you know, like I feel uh-huh. that that I don't know why you would want to go with somebody who hasn't uh, <laughs> done anything before, you know, it's it's sort of, a, I don't know, I, I I would I would think you know it's it's kind of like an airline pilot, so you you feel more comfortable the longer that airline pilot has been flying, you know, <laughs> as opposed to like Absolutely. the guy the guy, hey, this is my first flight ever, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, but the reality of it is, I think the bottom line for all this stuff is it's not easy for anyone. Like no matter who you are, or what your background is, or how much of this stuff you've done, I think it's so much of this stuff is relationships. So much of it is, I mean, like some of the the biggest strides I've made in my career thus far really come from my editing career, influencing the kinds of relationships I have that I can that I can then capitalize on for my any directing any directing career, which is, you know, it's 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 just it, you know it really just has to do with who you know and how they feel about you, and you just try to build up more and more of a resume that looks like somebody who you legitimately want to be in business with. And I, I think particularly even these days, I I think you're going to see, and I think this has been, this has been the case for a little while, but I think it's going to be even more in, in light of recent uh, news re- revelations that have been going on in the industry that you're, you're really look, I think people are going to be really looking at stability, like people that are reliable, people that are not going to, because you really think about, um, you know, just at the business angle of this when it comes to insurance companies, when it comes, you know, because major feature films, you know, they got to get bonded with completion, you know, completion bonds. And if you've got some irrational hothead, you know, person who's maybe abusive to the cast and crew and who knows that that portends other kinds of abuse that they could be doing, like these people uh, are risks, you know, to a multi-million dollar production. I think that should be more clear now than it is, and in the other case, I mean, look at, you know, this Ridley Scott film they have to go in and they're reshooting right now with Christopher Plummer, you know, uh, and they're releasing in December. That is an incredible expense that movie's going through, um, you know, and, and so I really think you're going to have studios and insurance companies are really going to be taking hard looks at people when they're uh, putting these projects together now. Uh, oh, yeah, I know. I know. It's definitely you know, the, the one, culture, one, I think, is definitely thing, changing, you know. 
Yeah, I, ho- hopefully. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, nothing changes. And when it comes to the, the caliph, you know, because we, we can all be horrified, rightly horrified at, at the behavior on a personal level, but I think nothing moves in the industry and the kind of cold corporate wheels faster than the realization this is going to hurt them financially. Um, and yeah, I, I think yeah. we all have to continue to hold people's feet to the fire on these topics, like to make sure that, um, that these companies know that we are, that we're not, you know, as a community going to put up with this anymore. And you know, women are going to continue to speak out. And I think that, and honestly, I, you know, I think that men need to continue, men need to speak out when they see things and when they, um, I mean, even if you're not seeing, because, you know, a lot of these people, a lot of these people I've heard stories about that, you know, didn't necessarily have to do with sexual harassment, but they were just awful people. They were awful people to, to people on sets, you know, just like, uh, you know, to their, to their crew and, and, and we just need to be less tolerant of abusive personalities in the business, I think. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. want to get up on this tangent, yeah, much, but yeah. it's, it's certainly what's going on. And, you know, I was at a, I was at a show last night. I have some friends of mine are in town doing a show at the, at BAM, Brooklyn Academy of Music here in New York. And, you know, we went out and anytime you're at any sort of industry gathering these days, like this is the topic that it turns to eventually, you know, it's. Oh, I'm, I'm um, sure everyone is, is out there at the, like, smoking dock or, or wherever, wherever the conversations right. are happening, you know, like. <laughs> Which is but, yeah, I mean, continue. continue. It really has to be. A no, it does. It does. What yeah. This, I, what this, what I, this can't be is like a brief moment in time where we clean out the worst of the worst or the most. Yeah. Of the worst, I should say. Um, yeah. And, and, then, uh, and then let and it sort of brew again. In. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely yeah, you're right. It definitely needs to change, you know. Yeah, it needs change. It needs to. I mean, I think the ultimate change that has to happen is that you know, that more women need to be need to be hired into the studio system. I mean, I, I think you just and 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 also is not not just as the executives that are up from on high, but they need to be you know directors. They need to be producers. They need to be. There just needs to be. I mean, the, the, you know, we just need to be closer to a fifty fifty split. I mean, women are more, more than half of the population. It's just you know, obviously, it's not. A revelation to anybody to say that's kind of ridiculous, but it's uh, that's really going to be the thing that changes cultures. If you have a writing room that's over fifty percent women, it's just going to be different than you know a writing room where you have like one woman. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, and, and the way that I always think about it is, you know, if if some of the things that you know I heard in the news and whatnot, if if someone did that in any other profession, it it would have been. You know, horrifying. It would have been a, a, a lawsuit. You know, if you have someone working in in the auto industry or something, and you hear about that, it's uh-huh. it's not acceptable. But somehow, in 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 filmmaking, it 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 did for a while. So I'm, you know, it's it's good that that we're, we're sort yeah. of moving in this direction of change. And I think you're right. It, well, it's there's, well, there's we, a myth. There's a myth in the in the film industry that somehow. Um, that somehow like creative types, well, one is that you, not like you have to be kind of off your rocker to be truly creative and that there's a, you know, like there's that myth and then there's, which is completely untrue. Like on Happy right now, we have some incredibly talented people working on Happy and like nobody in that office is anything less than a joy to be around every day. I mean, they are just, you know, from, from, 
you know, from the from the showrunners to the you know to the directors and the writers, everybody is just wonderful. Like you know, Brian oh, Taylor, great. Patrick McManus, they're just like fantastic. And then and you know, so it's you don't have to be really? a jerk to like to be talented. And, and yeah, the problem yeah. is, and the, the other problem is, I think with the film industry is that like in the audio in the auto industry and like so many other businesses have local or regional. Uh, control that have nothing to do with, say, the other side of the country or something. Like, if you have, you know, if you work in, you know, if you work in, in, in Florida in some, in, you know, in some insurance business or something like that, and you decide, well, things aren't working out for me here for one reason or another, I'm going to move to the other side of the country and in California and try it there. You can do that. And in the film industry, it's a global industry that's very small. There's a few amount of jobs and a lot of people that want to do them. So there's a lot of desperation and there is this feeling and a lot of these people who were victims, particularly of Weinstein, did have this feeling that if they, you know, run afoul of this guy, he can shut them out of the various agencies. He can, he has sway over all the public, yeah, all the gatekeepers, a small amount of gatekeepers. And it's not like you can just say, well, fine, I'll just move to Florida and work in the local Florida film industry. Like, that doesn't work, you know, <laughs> like that's... Yeah, no, that's, I know, you know I there's, mean, there's, you there's know... no equivalent of that, like, like you know, I, I, it, it's not like I can move back to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and be like, well, I'll just make movies that, you know, play in New Mexico. The, the, I'll just, you know, work in the local <laughs> New Mexico film industry. I know, like, that's like, not yeah, a viable I'll... economic <laughs> plan, you know. So no, no. These are, these are the problems that, that kind of make the film industry uh, a uh, a breeding ground for, for exploitive behaviors. There's just so much on the line, and particularly when you, you really you really sit down and think about, like, the immediacy of these issues where it's like, oh, your career's on the upswing, everyone's telling you that this is your moment, and suddenly you've got this incredibly powerful person who's making you make this decision in a matter of seconds, you know, that's, you know, uh, that, that, you know, it's the betrayal and the panic and, you know, are you really prepared to risk throwing your entire life away? Cause when I, when I hear these stories, like the incredibly hard, as terrible as all these stories are, the stories that we're not hearing that are incredibly heartbreaking are the people that went ahead and did it. And you know that those numbers have to be, I mean, in the hundreds and thousands, you know, of people that just that just did this, and they have no desire to come out and talk about it right now. And I completely understand oh, that. Oh, for and sure, for sure, yeah. You know, but they're yeah. they're just as much victims as anybody else, even if they quote unquote consented to it. And you know, obviously, like there is no consent in in uh, coercion. You know, and we basically have a gun to the head of your career. Um, and uh, you know, these are. You, gotta, you just got to think about it for all these women that are coming out. There's so many others that are just suffering in silence in this in this moment. And those, these are the things, you know, these are the things we have to keep in mind as we continue to, you know, just keep keep this moment going. So, oh yeah, anyway, no, that's for my sure. Rant. That's for my sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. It's you know, I mean, stories like I've, I've heard there's so many three Weinstein movies, and like there's. So many, like, uh, there are so many stories that I've heard that have nothing to do with sexual harassment, but just incredibly bad behavior. Like, you know, it's like all these people that are saying, you know, oh, well, you know, we have these A-list celebrities coming out and saying, like, well, we didn't know about, I didn't know about this, I didn't know about that. But, and, you know, like, George Clooney had this statement, and I have all the respect in the world for George George Clooney, you know, I like him a lot. And I, but the thing is, that in his statement, when he was saying um, that... 
you know, he didn't, he, he obviously didn't, didn't know about this, the, the sexual harassment, but he talks about how he's had these drag out fights with Weinstein. And this is kind of my point about what we accept from people is that, you know, it's, it's one thing to have these kind of abusive arguments when you're George Clooney and you have all the confidence in the world knowing that you can have these arguments with him. But if you're oh, having yeah, arguments yeah. with him, like imagine what it's like. And I know Clooney has been a great proponent of, 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 you know, crew members, you know, just like, you yeah. know, making sure the crew is being treated well. But really think about what it's like for when Weinstein turns his sights on, you know, some, some, you know, grip or assistant editor or PA or something who's completely powerless. And like, if he's willing to sit there and scream at you about something, you know, it's like, why do we tolerate this kind of abuse? And then like, how can you be surprised when you realize that there's someone who has no empathy no, uh, you know, no grace when it comes to dealing with their subordinates, and then they turn around and 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 do it in their sexual lives as well. And we act surprised about it. I mean, it's just of course that's going to happen. Oh um, yeah, no, I know. It's you know when you when you think about it, George Clooney can afford to say anything he wants because you know yeah. and no one is no one's going to fire George Clooney, you know. But yeah, uh, you can look at, a PA you or someone, like you know, like that, you know? Character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Like, yeah. They, they think of, like, why, oh, that's Harvey, he's this eccentric character because he has these, you know, blow-ups and whatnot. And it's like, because it's not threatening to them, you know? It's mm-hmm. the same way that some people can look at, it's the same way that some people can look at Trump and go, well, yeah, he's not perfect, you know? It's just Trump being Trump and telling it like it is and whatnot. And generally, if you, when you hear that coming out of somebody's mouth, you're hearing that coming out of somebody's mouth who isn't really existentially threatened by anything he's saying. You know, it's like, you know, these aren't people who are, you know, who have close-knit ties to, like, you know, someone who's a, like, a dreamer or somebody. You know, like, it's like these are, you know, it's, it's the, it's just, it's easy to kind of, like, minimize somebody's bad behavior when it's, when you're not threatened by it, you know. It's really kind of the, the definition of that kind of privilege. And, and I would just suggest, I suppose what I would just suggest to the A-list actors that have all this power is that, like, when you see someone exhibiting abusive behavior, just don't go in for it. It's like, you know, so like Gal Gadot, like yesterday, says that she's not going to re-sign for Wonder Woman if Brett Ratner is attached to it. And, you know, regardless of what Brett, Brett Ratner's done or not done, I mean, like, he did that, uh, Ellen Page called him out the other day for some, just being... Did not not sexually harassing her per se, but being abusive yeah. in uh, toward her and saying inappropriate things about her sexuality before she had come out, and like you know, it's like just incredibly bad behavior on the set, and like we can't continue just to turn a blind eye to to this kind of abuse as a as a culture, because I mean, because it just leads to, and eventually you just you start praising it, and this is what led us to this moment where it's okay for the president to be, you know, tweeting at, you know, <laughs> Kim, Kim Jong-un, like, saying, you know, call, you know, in this kind of adolescent war of words, and this is okay, you know, you can be calling him, you know, short and fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that was my conversation with Ryan Denmark. It's, it's, it was such a good conversation that we're going to go ahead and give you part two next week. So be on the lookout for part two of my conversation with Ryan next week. 
And thank you for listening to Aaron's Horror Show. You can go ahead and find me on Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook or uh, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter. Or you can always email me at Show at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.